Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, last week, we started a new sermon series on the Minor Prophets, which are the last 12 books uh, in the Old Testament. And they are called the Minor Prophets simply because uh, they are shorter than the other prophetic books. And God has used them to speak incredible hope and conviction and love to his people then and now. And last Sunday, we got to meet the renegade prophet Jonah. And today, we'll turn to the prophet Hosea. And on a human level, the book of Hosea tells the story of a broken vow, a broken home, and a broken people. But the bigger story it tells is about a God who pursues us at all costs because we simply cannot out his love. And our passage this morning is really the climax of the book of Hosea. So after we read it together, we're going to spend some time exploring the backstory that leads to this climax to be able to give a larger context. And finally, we'll come back to our passage to explore how this passage applies to us today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hosea chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14 and we're going to go into chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the bells from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have mercy on no mercy." I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love the cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. This is God's word given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray now that you would be present with us. 
Father, that you would speak tenderly to each of us this morning, wherever we find ourselves. That you would woo us, Father. That you would help us to see the things um, in which we love to run away with you, to run away from you. We pray, Father, that you would teach us your love, teach us what it means to be your people. And would you show us above all things that you are the God that pursues us. You are the God that pursues us at all costs. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, a few weeks back, I was out running an errand as, and as often as in the city, a driver slammed on his brakes in front of me. And so I um, slammed on my brakes, avoiding to hit him, when I heard a mysterious sound. I heard a beep. I was like, what the heck is that? I ended up hearing it a few more times that day, and I started to wonder if there was something wrong with our car. Well, that night over dinner, my wife Rachel said, hey, uh, I forgot to tell you that I installed a device in the car that will beep every time we do something bad. You know, like when we accelerate too fast or brake too hard. And the deal is that we will get a discount on our car insurance if we receive a good grade on our driving. Now, suffice to say, uh, we were not starting out well because of me. So we, uh, we had to keep this device in our car for 30 days. And that little beep became my arch nemesis. I would cringe every time I came to a stop and tense up as I waited to hear whether it would judge me. Beep. Now, I tend to think of myself as a competent, efficient driver, but this experience showed me a very different picture of my driving as did the, the line graph that they happily provided that tracked our driving patterns. At the end of the month, I had uh, no choice but to concede that according to their standards, I'm a C-minus driver. Now, in a similar way, but in a more serious way, in the book of Hosea, God offers the nation of Israel, the Israel in the north, an undeniable concrete picture of themselves that shows how different they are in reality from the people that they have been called to be. And he uses Hosea's life to do it. The very first thing that the Lord says to Hosea is, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, we may not be accustomed to hearing the word whoredom in our everyday language, in our everyday culture, but scripture often uses it as a metaphor to describe Israel turning away from the Lord as their first love, as in Exodus 34. And as you read through the story of scripture, we see that this is the tragic pattern in the life of his people. In Hosea's day, the Israelites had something of a double life going on. On the one hand, they thought of themselves as belonging to Yahweh, the mighty God who had rescued them from Egypt. But it's clear that they do not know him in their day-to-day lives. For example, Hosea accuses them of allowing grave injustice in their communities and then going to the temple and offering sacrifices to God as if everything was okay. 
And also they made political alliances that God had forbidden as a sort of insurance policy just in case God did not show up and deliver his people. And they began to worship at the temple of the Canaanite god Baal, the known as the storm god, where ritual prostitution was thought to arouse Baal and bring rain on the dry land, as if the god who had provided manna for them for 40 years in the desert wouldn't provide rain that his people needed to grow food. There is even evidence that some in Israel practiced child sacrifice to appease the god Molech. This, of course, was a horrifying violation of God's explicit commands. And so God gives his prophet Hosea the task of beginning a family that will be a living, breathing parable to the people. God is saying, choose as your most intimate relationship a partner who will not be faithful to you. Have children together that might not be your own. Because this is how Israel has been towards me. And so Hosea woos a woman named Gomer. And she agrees to be his wife. Now there's a lot of speculation about whether Gomer is a prostitute by profession or a woman who would become unfaithful during the the course of their marriage. But in either case, Hosea marries her And he loves her despite knowing that she will not keep her vow to him. Now Gomer gives birth to three children. And God commands Hosea to give each of them symbolic, deeply painful names. God tells him to name his firstborn son Jezreel, which refers to the coming judgment for the evil committed by Israel's king. The second child, a daughter, is named Lo Ruhamah, which means no mercy, not beloved, because God would no longer have mercy on Israel. And when Gomer has a third child, God says, call his name Lo Ami, which means not mine, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Now, can you imagine Hosea walking through the marketplace and calling his little son, not mine, it's time to go home for dinner. It would have been both a painful reminder that this child was in fact not his own because of Gomer's unfaithfulness. It also would have been a stab in the heart of a good father at burdening his son with a shameful name. And can you imagine... Hosea kissing his little daughter, good night, and saying, sweet dreams, not my beloved. I mean, think about it. What parent could do this? What God could command it? And if we look at this situation and say that it is completely messed up, then we are seeing clearly it is messed up. It's wrong on the deepest level. And it undercuts everything that it means to be a healthy family and to be a human parent. 
And that church is entirely the point. The Lord is essentially saying, Israel, look and see for yourself the reality of the life that you have chosen. You are mine, but you have given yourself to another. I've invited you into mercy, but you have chosen to dwell outside of it. I have taught you how to live in a way that leads to human flourishing, but you are flaunting your refusal to do so. And so we're going to call things like they are because we are not a family that pretends that everything is okay when it's not. Now at some point after Lohami is born, Gomer abandons Jose and their family. And God says that Gomer is like Israel. For she, Israel, said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. And she did not know that it was I who gave her grain and wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which she used for Baal. And when God says, Israel did not know it was I who provided her with every good gift, he uses the Hebrew word yada. And this word means to know, not in the intellectual sense of knowing about someone, but in the relational sense of knowing someone face to face. It's the word used in Genesis when God says that Adam knew Eve. And God is saying, I want my people to know me. God wants to be known by them as he himself knows them. Not like they know Baal as a means to an end, but with the intimacy of a spouse. He desires not, to be, not just to be the God who rescues them in crisis, but the God to whom they entrust themselves for all of their needs and desires and fears and joys of their daily life. But Israel violates the covenant. They have broken their marriage vow. And God considers his option to cut, to cut his losses, essentially to divorce himself from his people. Now this leads us to where our passage begins this morning. And I want us to look briefly at three images in our passage that are meant to give us hope this morning, that are meant to encourage our hearts. The first image that we see is in verse 14 when God says, Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Now very simply, we see that God is not like us. And that is really good news for people like you and me. His response to deep betrayal and rejection is to ramp up his pursuit. Because church, it is not possible to outrun God's love. It is not possible to outsin God's love. It wasn't for Israel and it's not possible for us. His desire is for us. And he will pursue us in order to restore the broken relationship that we have caused. This is the beautiful picture 
that Jesus paints of himself as a shepherd who treks long and wide to go after one lost sheep in his flock of a hundred. And then he has a party to celebrate when his lost sheep comes home. The second image follows immediately after. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. God goes beyond pursuing Israel. He actually uses the consequences of their sin to work good for them. God says that I will woo Israel and bring her into the wilderness, which is the place of testing, of reliance on the Lord that is meant to lead to intimacy with him. It's where Jesus goes to be tested and confirmed for ministry. It is where God took the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness in order to teach them who he was and to train their hearts to know him. And for Israel now, the wilderness will look like exile in Assyria. And in the wilderness, they will know him. Notice that the good and the hope doesn't come after they have returned from exile, but while they are in exile. You see, church, the Bible says that we are also living in a perpetual state of exile. It's not that we have been forcibly removed to a foreign land, but because of the broken world, the brokenness of this world, all of creation is groaning as, uh, as in exile. In other words, if we feel that we are not at home in our own lives, it's because we live in a world in which shalom has been shattered. Now think about it for a second. Where in your life do you most deeply feel not at home? For many of us, it's the feeling that we live in a city of over two million people, but we aren't really known. It may be showing up to work each day and feeling like your gifts aren't appreciated and put to good use. It may be being seen as the black sheep in your family when you have tried hard to be accepted. God is the God who meets us in exile to redeem us, to bring meaning and restoration and beauty in our lives. You see, in a world that makes us hard, he teaches us kindness. In a world that teaches us to protect ourselves and our material possession, he teaches us love, to open our hands. See, the third image that I want us to see this morning is found in verses 20 to 23. God says, They shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. What we see here is that God is in the business of renaming his people. He renames us according, not according to our failures, but according to his faithfulness, according to the people that he has made us to be. 
in renaming each of Hosea's children, he redefines his relationship with his people. He gives them hope where there was only desolation. Again, this is the pattern that we see in Scripture. This is what God does. As a matter of fact, in Hosea chapter 12, he makes a point of naming Jacob as a liar and usurper. But if you remember, God renames him Israel, meaning he struggles with God. He knows God. He knows God in his struggle. And as we think about our lives, we each take on names based on verdicts that have been passed upon us over the years by a variety of different people. Ugly. Inadequate. Outsider. Disappointment. Awkward. What names do you answer to? I don't mean the name that your parents gave you, but the name or names that in your most honest moments define who you understand yourself to be. It's easy for us to imagine the names that people gave Gomer and the names that she, she in turn gave herself. Seductress. Cast off. You know, as we heard in our New Testament lesson, in renaming us, God reclaims us as his own. The Apostle Paul applies these words in Hosea that I just read to us, to the church. He names us beloved, my people, wanted, called, beautiful. And then he calls us into a people who have been renamed to be a part of a family that has been renamed for the sake of joining him in renaming and reclaiming the broken world that we call home. The home of exile. And you know what? The Christian life is the process of learning to receive and live into those names. And as we own those names, we begin to recognize how we uniquely are meant and gifted to bless. To bless others with our lives. To bless them in a way that no one else can. So what happens to Gomer and Hosea? How does the story end? Well, the Lord says in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, He says this to Hosea, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. So Hosea sets out to look for Gomer. Her life and her choices have fallen heavy on her. And Hosea finds her on sale on an auction block. And she sees him coming towards her, the man she has jilted and wronged. But rather than reveling in satisfaction as she might have expected, he leaps into action with a heart inflamed by love. He quickly pays the price to save her. It's interesting, right, that we're, giving, we're given that detail. 
15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of, and a half of a barley. We can imagine him covering her with his cloak and leading her away from that ugly place of buying and selling back to home. And she is relieved. She must have felt relieved because she would have known that he was a kind and long-suffering husband to the point of foolishness. And perhaps what was going through her mind would have been what went through the mind of the prodigal son when he returned home to his father and he said to himself, maybe, maybe I'm, I will be lucky and let, and he'll let me live as one of his hired servants. But if that is the case, she has underestimated who her husband is. And as the Lord says to Israel, call me my husband, we can imagine Hosea saying joyfully, Gomer, don't call me master. We are together again. Call me my husband. And so he brings her home not to be his slave, but to be his wife. And he says, I am yours and you are mine. You know, this is exactly what Jesus does for us. No matter how far we have strayed away from being the people that he has created us to be, no matter how far we have run from his love and his mercy, he is the God in whom we don't need to hide who we truly are and who loves us because he made us lovely. He is the God who pursues us with relentless love who pays the price of his own life to have us holy as his. And people, this is the story, the beautiful story of the book of Hosea. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, indeed, we pray and we give you thanks for this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, for the church to redeem us, to woo us, to bring us into his family, who renames us as his wife, who calls us his own. Father, help us to believe that. Help us to renounce those other names and help us to live into that name of being your beloved. Father, give us the courage. Give us the hope. Give us the, the ability to own that identity. And as a result, may we bless this broken world. May we bless, Lord, your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.